From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California. Stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Wednesday, April 8th. Welcome to the first episode of our daily podcast. We're launching this as part of the LA Times' continuing mission to chronicle California, to let residents know what's going on now and tell everyone else about the state of what's next. We're a global leader in the good and the bad, our eternal cycle of boom and bust. And coronavirus and COVID-19 will magnify this truism like few other moments in our history. Over the next couple of months, and hopefully no longer than that, this podcast will bring you the stories and people on the front lines of this crisis that you need to hear from. The artists, the farm worker, the teachers and doctors, the unemployed and the renters, and so many more folks. As Californians, we always complain few things unite us besides a love for the late, great Huel Hauser. Well, here's coronavirus to bring us all together, from Crescent City to Chula Vista, from Bishop to Buena Park. So many tales. So let's start. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. Today, Salmia Carla Mangla joins us. She writes about healthcare in California for the paper and has been covering coronavirus and COVID-19 since the very beginning. Thanks for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me. So pandemics are part of the human experience, obviously, from the bubonic plague to the 1918 influenza. But are you surprised that something of this magnitude of coronavirus is spreading at this point in time throughout the world and especially throughout the United States? Yeah, I think so. I mean, now that it's happened, looking back, I feel like we all feel a little bit naive that we didn't see this coming. But I mean, I've been a health reporter for seven years for a long time. And I've, you know, every time I talk to someone an expert and say, you know, what's the biggest health issue facing Americans or Californians? You hear things like obesity or smoking. And rarely did anyone I talked to bring up a pandemic. I honestly am not sure if anyone had ever brought that up to me. And maybe that's because I wasn't asking because it just wasn't really something that was on our radar. I think it's, it felt like we had moved on to the next phase of health, which was we were beyond infectious diseases and, you know, we have yeah. vaccines, we have treatments and, now we're doing these like lifestyle things that make people healthier and expanding insurance coverage. It's hard to imagine that we've come to a place where, we, where it's so out of control that we just are telling people not to leave their homes. Like that's something yeah. that I think I, no one could have foreseen. It was. It's almost like the big one here in California. You keep hearing about, oh, there's going to be this earthquake. California has a humongous earthquake every 120 years or whatever. And it never comes and it never comes. And you don't think it's ever going to come. You almost delude yourself into thinking uh, we're beyond earthquakes. We're past earthquakes. And then it hits. And then you think, oh, uh, maybe we should have been preparing for this all along. <laughs> exactly. I think that in California we're way more prepared for earthquakes than we were for a pandemic. Like, I have an earthquake kit. I did not have a pandemic kit. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's totally like earthquakes, though. And earthquakes, you get a little bit of a reminder once in a while. Like, was it, I think, over uh, July 4th weekend last year, we had a bunch of earthquakes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I took out my kit, I updated it, I had friends who didn't have a kit and made one. This is something that, similarly, people have been saying, you know, this is going to happen, but it just, I don't think it registered in the American conscious. So how is California doing? Are, are we at the end of the beginning, the beginning of the beginning, the beginning <laughs> of the end, or somewhere in between? So 
it's one of those things that you can't answer until it's over, which I know is a very frustrating mm. response. <laughs> but California is doing very well compared to New York, which, you know, is not the best compliment given how bad things are in New York. But the three cities in the U.S. with the highest number of travelers coming in from Wuhan before all the travel restrictions and stuff were yeah. L.A., San Francisco, and New York. So based on that and the idea that the virus was spreading there at the end of last year and people were coming here potentially infected and not knowing it or thinking they had the flu, those three cities should have the highest number of cases. And two of them are in California, and we don't have the highest number of cases nationwide. So you could say there's a variety of factors at play. But given that, I think California is doing pretty well because we could have been in a situation where our outbreak is like New York, and maybe it's because we're not as dense. We have different Yeah, different I was going to ask that, yeah. But, and that makes me feel like things definitely aren't as dire, and I'm hopeful they're not going to become as dire. L.A. Is, hasn't been as bad as New York. California is sort of ahead of the trend. Do you think that, that so, somewhat good news in this, that it might lull the public into thinking, hey, this isn't really as big a deal as uh, people were making out to be, so we could be a little bit looser in, our, uh, in how we live our lives? Yes. <laughs> the problem with this is that the ideal scenario is that, so say we didn't do anything preventative, we would have a peak that say was this week and everyone would get sick at once because everyone was out still. So all of the measures are intended to push the peak further and further back, which is great because that means the peak is getting smaller and smaller. We're like stretching it out. It's that flattening the curve. But the problem is that the more we push it further and further out, the longer we have to have people doing these sort of extreme social distancing measures. And like you said, the more that people might start to push back on them because they feel like, hey, you're telling me that it's successful. Also, you know, the peak is so far down the road. And yeah, it, the risk of that increases. And that's going to be the real challenge, I think. Like people become fatigued with these social distancing measures. And honestly, the longer they go on, the later the peak is, the better the, the health situation is. But that's a hard thing to, to communicate, I think. Yeah, people already seem to have cabin fever after what we're in about week three here in Southern California. Uh, Garcetti and Newsom are saying expect to be like this until what was it? Beginning of May, the end of May. At some point, people are going to say, you know what? No, we want to go out there and live life again. Yeah, I mean, I've had cabin fever since the very beginning. It's tough. I mean, L.A. isn't New York, but a lot of people still live in apartments and I live in an apartment. It's tough to feel like you're trapped in, you know, not that many square feet. I, I wouldn't be surprised if people started pushing back uh, on the social distancing measures because, like, we've been reporting for almost two weeks, if not three, that the hospitals in L.A. are actually emptier than usual. They have more COVID patients, but they have fewer other patients because they canceled all their elective surgeries. No one wants to come into the yeah. ER. And, like, that really, I could imagine people saying, like, this isn't real. There's no evidence that there's a surge. Like, I'm going to start going to work, you know, or, you know, going on a hike, all those sorts of things. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content.
Speak. What, one of the interesting things that I'm seeing as both L.A. County and also Orange County are releasing uh, figures of people who have coronavirus and they're releasing it city by city. So one of the trends that's popping up is it seems the wealthier cities like Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, Newport Beach and Laguna Beach as a uh, ratio, they seem to have more cases of coronavirus than, say, poor cities like Santa Ana, like, uh, say, Cudahy or whatever. So what I'm seeing is. People are saying, oh, it's a rich person's disease, so maybe us working class folks don't have to worry about it as much. So talk a little bit about that disparity. Yeah, that's super interesting. There's like a couple of issues there. So number one is that the testing, as you know, we've been reporting on, as everyone's been reporting on, has been the huge fatal flaw of this response. The testing is really uneven. Access to it is still very limited. Even in places like, well, definitely in L.A., it's particularly bad in L.A. and California, but all over the country, people are really struggling to get testing. So what that means is that the people who do get testing probably have better access to health care. The people who have the better access to health care live in those wealthier neighborhoods. And that's true for any kind yeah. of health care. You have, you know, the people who just have better access to doctors. Like, there were concierge medicine doctors who had coronavirus tests like two weeks ago. I, you know, there was, I interviewed an urgent care clinic in Sherman Oaks where they were giving tests to, on rare occasions to people with no symptoms. Like it's really, with the testing, what you're really seeing is just where people can get tested, not really the spread of mm. cases. I don't think that there aren't cases in, you know, the sort of poorer parts of the county. So if you talk to epidemiologists, they say like, okay, you need to ignore the testing data it's like barely useful because it's not really telling you anything because every week who can get tested changes, who can get tested is based on money. So ignore that. So you want to look at like what the breakdown of where the hospitalized patients are because people yeah. who are in the hospital are way more likely to get tested and where the breakdown of the deaths are. And I don't think we've like officially mapped it because there aren't, an, I think the last time we asked the county, there weren't enough to sort of map where those are. But just based on when they announce where the deaths have been, they've been spread out all over LA. Like there's yeah. no concentration of deaths in like only on the west side and the one added thing is that it is possible that there are more cases on the west side of LA and richer areas because originally the cases were really linked to traveling and people with more money can travel more but at this point yeah, I don't think that that's what's going on yeah and also those populations tend to skew a little bit older as well yeah that's probably a factor too like if you're older you're going to have more severe illness you're going to end up in the ER and they're going to test you, whereas if you're, you know, younger, you're just going to stay home because you're not that sick and you won't get tested. Like, how many times in your life have you tested positive for a virus? Like, I'm sure I've had the flu many times. I've never actually gotten a flu test because I've never been sick enough to have to go to the ER mm. with the flu. So you're out there in the field. You've been on this for, geez, since January. So give listeners some safety tips, both when they're in public and also when you go back to your house. Sure. I know things are changing quickly and we're getting guidance about masks and wearing them in public, but the basic mechanism of how the virus spreads hasn't really changed. It's still mostly spread through coughing and sneezing, uh, through those droplets that sort of hit someone or land on a surface like a doorknob or a counter at the grocery store and then someone touches them and touches their face. Yeah, um, We're still learning more about sort of how the virus moves in the air, and there's still not a ton of evidence that the virus is like circulating in the air. The reason that they're recommending the face coverings is really for situations where you might be closer than six feet to someone, and maybe they're sick or about to get sick, and 
their coughing, sneezing, or just even talking can sometimes shouting can release the virus into the air. Um, so the main thing really is hand washing because touching a contaminant doorknob and then touching your face is way more likely to get you sick than like walking by someone who, you know, is asymptomatic or who has the virus. Um, and the overall goal is just to make each sick person infect fewer other people. And ideally, each sick person would just stop and in, would infect one person or less than one person. And then the, the outbreak will stop. Now that we're all coronavirus chroniclers, even if we're not a reporter, we're all, you know, living through this. So how do you go through your day yourself as someone who is reporting on this nonstop so that there's some hope? So you're not weighed down too much by the gravity of the situation. In other words, how can we laugh and smile right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, I think it's hard for journalists, but because we're sort of drowning in this information, but I just think it's really important to build in, you know, joy into your day. I know a lot of people have been cooking a lot and baking a lot. I've been doing that too. I think it's really fun. Still trying to go out and get a run. My boyfriend and I were talking about making a list of movies that we've never seen that we want to watch so we can feel like, you know, we're still doing something. We have like goals that we can accomplish inside the house that are still fun. I mean, I've also been doing this thing where I write down uh, a list in my... I started journaling. The LA Times actually had a story about how people have started journaling during this because it's such a crazy time. And I started doing that too and started listing all of the like strange pandemic things that happened to me that day, like things that never would have happened otherwise or feelings that I had that I never would have had otherwise. Like, you know, the handyman came to fix my fridge and I felt anxious about him being in my apartment. Stuff like that. Um, (laughs) And then I also, after that, try to follow it up with like a list of things that I still feel happy about that have nothing to do with the coronavirus, like things I'm grateful for. And I think that's helped a lot because otherwise how weird everything feels can feel really overwhelming. And so for me, sort of making a list compartmentalizes it and then trying to follow that up with like, here's some things that are still good. Yeah, no, that's advice we could all take right now. Thank you so much for this interview. Of course. Thanks for having me. That's it for our first episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652. Or email me, gustavo.arellano at latimes.com or on Twitter, Gustavo Arellano, all one word. You've been listening to Coronavirus in California, hosted by me, Gustavo Arellano. Our producers are Paige Heimsen and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Eben. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.